Welcome to Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes, here on WKXLAM and FM. We are streamed live at nhtalkradio.com and podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Please subscribe if you're listening on a podcast. Tell your friends and tell social media about us and our shows. We're brought to you today by the Capital Center for the Arts in Concord, New Hampshire, Two great venues, the new Bank of New Hampshire stage and the big hall inside at the Capitol Center for the Arts, gearing up for a great season of shows. CCANH.org is the website. Uh, come and enjoy terrific entertainment right in downtown Concord. I'm very pleased to welcome as my guest on Capitol Close-Up, Jane Cormier. Soprano. Jane, welcome to Capital Close-Up. Thank you so much, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Jane is a singer, uh, but she's not just a singer, as if there was anything just about being an opera singer. But Jane also is the founder of Opera Fest of New Hampshire, which ran from 1991 to 2001. She works uh, from time to time as a regional finalist judge of Nats, the New England division that is the um, enterprising authority on uh, teachers of singing. Uh, she is the executive director of the New Hampshire Piccola Opera in Manchester, New Hampshire. And now she is host and co-host of two new radio show podcasts right here on this very station, as well <laughs> as being an experienced teacher of singing with her own private vocal studio in Manchester. Jane, you are uh, very welcome. I love to, to interview artists and your background and experience is really wide ranging and extraordinary. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so, so you've, you know, people who choose a career in music and choose a particular kind of music um, often uh, start at a very, very young age. And clearly, I, I've been able to listen to some clips of you on the YouTubes. Uh, in fact, I, there's a great YouTube clip of you singing um, some German opera or leader, I'm not sure which, which it is, accompanied by Catherine Southworth at the Concord Community Music School. It's probably from a few years ago, but your voice is rich and warm, uh, effortlessly reaching the high notes, um, not uh, overly tremoloed or vibratoed, <laughs> but really, really lovely. Um, congratulations. And what I want to start by saying, so where did you grow up and when did you first have an inkling that music was a path for you? Well, let's see. I, I grew up the last of eight children in Andover, Massachusetts. And as long as I, far back as I can remember, I knew without a doubt, music was going to be it. So uh, five years old, I remember I had my first concert. Yes. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I sang from age of five um, up, you know, when I was a youngster, I had a teacher at one of my schools in Andover that would bring me to Boston to sing on the radio at Tremont Temple Church. I was probably about 
eight, you know, eight or nine when I was doing that. And so right from a very young age, I enjoyed very much singing for the public. And in my mind, I was never going to be doing anything else. So it was just a matter of time before I uh, found a place and a, and a way to do it. <laughs> so the youngest of eight children, yeah. what's it, what's it like growing up in a family of eight children? Well, you know, it was nothing unique for us. My father was one of 14. My mother was one of eight. Um, and I was, since I was the last, my brother was like 19 years older than me. So it was just the way we did business, right? I mean, a lot of people sitting at the table, a lot of people eating. There's a lot of dishes. That's a big work. Thanksgiving. It's a big Thanksgiving, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, Thanksgiving. When, when, I mean, when the family comes and, and, and your brother has how many siblings? 14? Well, my 13? father, my father, your father, your father, I'm sorry, your father had 13 siblings, right? Well, I mean, my brothers and sisters, of course, were already married when I was young, you know, very young. Right. And had, so, yeah, we had three ships. We had a very small little house in Andover and we uh -huh. would eat chips because we couldn't we didn't have enough plates to plate everybody at the same time or a table sure. large enough. So, yeah, right, we, right. We always the end of the stick. I always ate last. You were hoping the food uh -huh. would make it to the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. so so what what about what about the taste in music of your family? Oh, were your were your parents um, musical? Were they interested in music? Was there music playing in the household? Did yeah. your brothers and sisters introduce you to music? Um, yeah, I have to, to say, my, my, my household was strange because my father was very anti music. God bless him. Uh, mm. he, he didn't think that that was a career for his kid. And, well, let me uh, tell you, I, 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 yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but boy, <laughs> does that resonate with me. I'll tell you a story, but you go ahead. <laughs> oh, mama. Yes. Yeah, so my mother actually was a big band singer. And ah. um, yeah, she used to sing on a big band show in Lowell. So uh -huh. she loved me, but um, she gave that up when she got married. And my brother was a fabulous percussionist um, in school. He was five, six years older than me at Andrew High. And, um, but, you know, nobody really took it up until, until I came around. And of course, by the time I got old enough um, to be really loud, I, the biggest thing in my house was, mom, make her shut up because it was uh, just singing all the time. I don't, pay, personally, I don't know how they stood me, you know, because I mean, I was oh, in my I, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, my I I I just I don't remember a lot of support for my being a musician. I'm a I play the guitar. I I these days I I croak along. I'm you know, my wife Pego is a singer. We've played yeah. together. We for a long time. We met playing music. I I play in a. I'm having a lot of fun in a geezer rock band, um, which I'm now. It was called Calamity Jane. I'm now calling it Calamity Jane Doe. Um, but. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I mean, my, my, I, I didn't get a lot of encouragement. My father, my father would say to me, you know, I never hear you play a song with a beginning, middle and an end. All I ever hear you do is fiddle around with these things. Uh -huh. I don't know what you're doing. Why are you bothering? And, and for me, I was headed for a career in the theater. And my parents response to that was, 
from my mother at one point when I was, uh, I figured I had just finished running in a, in a show off off Broadway as a youth. And my mother said, your father and I went to a cocktail party the other night. And somebody asked him what you were doing with your life. And, and he couldn't bring himself to tell them, what have we done to deserve this? Well, needless to say, I wasn't strong enough to uh, emotionally mature enough to continue that path by myself. I ended up going to law school and doing music and theater oh, uh, on the side. But, but, you know, so I was able to keep it up. But you've had a, a, a remarkable career. You, you started singing at five. Yeah. Clearly, you know, you were probably the, 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 the youthful singer who, uh, did you sing, um, did you sing national anthems at oh, local, local events? We did all kinds. Oh, we did all that stuff. You know, the local talent shows. Um, I, I was absolutely ignorant 200% about classical music. Everything I sang was rock, rock and roll and musical theater. And um, uh -huh. my job, when I got to high school, I took all these business courses because my plan, you know, because you know everything when you're in ninth grade, um, my plan was to take enough business courses so I could afford to live while I mm -hmm. went out and auditioned. That was yeah. my plan. So right. I, I had this real great, uh, you know, vision. And mm. uh, I took like 12 years of dance. And so I was really good on the stage. I, I did a lot of musicals. And mm -hmm. on until I was about 21 uh, at Bradford College. I went to college. I was the first kid in my class that, my first kid in my house anyway, uh, that ventured out to college. Really? And uh, when I was about 21. Of, uh, yeah. of all your brothers and sisters, yeah. you were the first to go to college. Really? Yeah, I think my sister did end up, one of my sisters has since gotten associates. But yeah, uh -huh. I was the first one. And how, how, how was that in the house? I mean, how did your parents respond when you told them that you wanted to go to college? Were they supportive? Yeah. You know what? My dad was um, a, a veteran and um, a disabled veteran. And so he helped me out. He, he actually, part of his, I guess, benefits, right, helped his children if they wanted to go to college. So I got some help there. He was very mm -hmm. supportive with that. I don't know that he cared about my choice, but my father was the strong, silent type. And he didn't thrill, I think, because he thought that I wouldn't be happy, uh, you know, materialistically doing what I'm doing. Right. But he never uh -huh. got in the way. He never, yeah. never was negative. Uh, right. My mother was supportive, pretty supportive. I don't think either of them knew what it was. Right. Yeah. They didn't know what the heck right. that was. You're going to go you're going to college. What? You know, why don't you just get a job? Just get married kind of thing. I did that, uh -huh. too. What are you going to do? Uh -huh. right? Right. But you but you went you went and, and you studied you got your B.A. in creative arts in Bradford. Yeah, it was a wonderful degree because, boy, did that the scope and breadth today as an older person. I realized just what a, what a great degree that was, because it was you had to have, you know, philosophy. Uh, you had to have fine arts training. You had to have vocal arts, stage work, direction, stage direction. It was such a flexible Awesome mm -hmm. bachelor. I learned a ton, a ton. I learned a ton in college. And did so, you study voice while you were in college? For the first time, yeah. And when I was twenty-one, um, my my uh, department, the department head, Charles Luddington, who has since passed, but uh, he was a German, uh, wonderful musician, like mm -hmm. really fine musician. And he said, "You should sing classical music." And I said, "Yeah, really? You're kidding." And he said, yes, you should. So they gave me a couple of little art songs. And I thought, oh, those are kind of fun. And 
And then mm -hmm. they, you know, Jane, you should go to the American Institute of Musical Studies. And I said, well, I'm not singing classical. I said, okay, let's go sing musical theater. So I did that, I think, at 84. I forget now mm -hmm. how where I was. But uh, I went over there, and this is how odd life is. I was singing in a musical theater program, but the assistant conductor at the Metropolitan Opera, her name was Joan Dorneman, very, very famous gal, uh, heard mm -hmm. me sing some Gershwin. And she came up to me that night after the concert, and she said, you know, you're a gifted singer. She said, you should be singing opera. And I laughed at her, right? I mean, I didn't know who Joan Dorneman was. I'm thinking to myself, this woman is nuts. And uh, <laughs> she gave me her business card, and she said, Jane, if you come to New York City in the fall, I will work with you. Hmm. So I said, oh, thank you. And I went home, and I showed Charles Lennington this card, and he, his mouth fell to the floor. And he said, well, of course you're going, right? And I said, what? Mm -hmm. And he said, you know who she is. And then he told me and uh, I took her up on it. And I had a very bizarre education in opera, but it was, I was at the Met three nights a week. I was backstage working with the best of the best stylistically. She was an assistant conductor and the number one A house prompter. So all ah. the cast were in front of Joan, in front of the prompting box. I got to right. see all those shows. I was kind of like her little pet, you know? Uh-huh. So, wow. I, yeah, my lessons were at Juilliard <laughs> with the head of the department. I just lucked out, right? right. I mean, what is that? So. That, yeah, that, well, it, it you know, uh, fate and destiny uh, somehow have a way of aligning um, properly, when 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 we direct our energy at something, all of a sudden, good thing things happen that way. That that's a what a remarkable what a remarkable way to start. I mean, how fabulous! Where and so you lived in New York, and you were you did, did with a Seventh Street. Can you believe it? Yeah. I had like the best address. I was about five blocks away, not even from the Met in Lincoln Center. And right. I would live there four days a week. I would come home and work. I was teaching voice at Brooks School in North Andover, uh -huh. like uh -huh. two, three days a week. And then I'd go back to New York for four. Well, 57th Street, I mean, that that's where Carnegie Hall is, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so you were you basically had a Carnegie Hall address. I there did. you were four days a week at the Metropolitan Opera, being <laughs> mentored by by one of the, the leading. Uh, yep. experts on it in the world yep. um, and coming home to Andover to teach. Were they paying you at the Met or just, uh, oh, was no, it just no. the experience? No, no, no. So, so uh, I don't want to miss, misguide you. No, I was not at the Met to sing at the Met. My coaches were at the Met. I was a young right. singer and I was yeah. backstage working with Joan. I learned all of the bel canto roles with her. Uh-huh. And yeah. Nadler, who's a conductor there, yeah. and Nico Castell. Yeah. They were oh my, my people. goodness. Yeah. Well, that's that's fabulous. And 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 then you did you also uh, study drama while you were in New York City? Yes, I did. Well, Martin Bookspan, who most people know as the PBS gentleman who would do Live at the Met for you know decades, his wife was one of the most sought after classical music drama directors in the world, Janet Bookspan. And Janet and I became great friends. In fact, I brought Janet to New Hampshire when I did Piccolo Opera uh, three or four times. 
and she directed a couple of our operas. I mean, she was the best of the best with being able to bring opera to life on mm -hmm. stage. I was not interested right. in singing opera. Yeah, I was uh -huh. interested in bringing opera to life for the audience that did not understand it. Right. Right, right, right. I mean, opera, opera for many people is kind of mysterious, and and it's an, and for some, it's an acquired taste, and it's not. Um, while it 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 was the popular music of the time centuries <laughs> ago, these days it's it 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 takes many forms. But classical opera is 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 somewhat rarefied in terms of its attraction to modern audiences. It's not opera. everybody's cup of tea. Right. And you are 100% correct. It's turned into a niche art form. And um, but I can tell you that the company I run right now, Piccola Opera, is the mission of the company is to demystify, as you said, the art form, because there's a reason why opera has been hanging around since 1600s. Uh, it's it is absolutely it offers such a wealth of depth of beauty in every way dramatically, musically, visually. And I just love to bring a little bit of it if we can to the people so that they can see, even if it's just one or two times in their life. Okay, that's fine. Um, good for me. And I, I really want people to understand what a beautiful art form it is. Well, it, it, it is, you know, it's so it's so fascinating to, um, to experience opera on a grand scale and certainly at the Metropolitan Opera at Lincoln Center mm -hmm. the experience uh is is unparalleled it's yeah. it is one of the premier performance venues in the world and the scope and scale of the mm -hmm. costumes the production the sets the numbers of performers the the dramatic presentation is mm -hmm. is breathtaking. It's it's hard if you haven't experienced it, and I I I I can tell you I've been fortunate enough to experience it. But if you haven't, it's hard to imagine. Um, it can be mind blowing and life altering um, for those. And 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 I will just add that uh, our our, yeah. our our segment sponsor, the Capital Center for the Arts. Uh, presents uh, the opera on uh, on the screen at, at its venues, so people in uh, Concord, New Hampshire, and the and and the region can experience uh, the Met Opera, you know, through radio and also uh, now visually. Right. So I I, I want to you you stayed in New York for a while, and then <laughs> you decided to go back for for graduate studies, but I'm going to just tease that. I'm, I'm, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm fascinated by the path that people take in their lives. And on this show, Jane, I often uh, spend a considerable time um, teasing out from folks their path, because I think it's, it's really, it's both interesting, it's fascinating, um, but it's also important for young people who may be listening to yep. who are considering their own paths to to hear how people got where they got you know when i tell i tell people i'm i'm a congressman who majored in french drama in uh, <laughs> college and and i had no idea that that that's where i was heading and for many young people uh, looking to find their way or for adults looking to find their second or third uh 
passions. Yeah. Uh, it's always interesting. We've gotten as far as New York City with Jane, with exciting backstage experience at the Metropolitan Opera, being coached by folks at Juilliard, learning drama from experts in operatic drama, and then off to the Boston Conservatory you went. What prompted you to go back to school? Well, the, the idea for Boston Conservatory was to get uh, a more complete degree, right? I had a, a creative arts degree. It wasn't a music degree. So uh, I decided that I was going to go back there. I got into the master's program to uh, just sort of do business, right? Go further. But the truth of the matter is, is at that point, um, I was gigging. I was starting to audition. I had won some competitions. And uh, I auditioned at the, what was it? Berlin Opera Foundation, okay, at New York City. And um, I won, I didn't win the prize. I guess they were looking for a tenor. They told me that they had one prize to give, but it had to be a tenor. But Lend they gave me a tenor. It had to be a tenor. Yes, we need tenors. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so they gave me a one way ticket to Europe and a letter of introduction. <laughs> yeah. one, a a one-way ticket, and, and don't come back. And it was <laughs> because you want to know the truth? I yeah. was so poor. I was uh -huh. so poor at that time. I couldn't have come back if I wanted to. I was going to... Oh. I'm kidding, and this is the God's honest truth. I went to, I went to Vienna, Austria, with $350 and an expired visa card. Okay, oh yeah. I went, I, that's how silly I was back then. And uh, but you know what? This letter of introduction was worth gold because I within my second audition, I got an agent in Vienna and it was uh -huh. a really good agent. And um, so I never completed my master's degree. I went off and I started singing. And I, of course, in my youth, I'm like, oh, I'd much rather be doing it than studying it. Right. Well, and right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I go, actually got to work with um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. I got to work with Hal Prince uh, because we got into Das Phantom der Oper, which was the Phantom of the Opera in German, <laughs> in Vienna. And oh I sang there, and it was fabulous, fabulous year of my life. Oh, my goodness. What, yeah. What, t tell us about the experience of, I mean, uh, Vienna is the the, you know, sort of the birthplace in, in many ways of opera. I mean, it is, it's spectacular. I hear the pastry is wonderful, but, oh, but talk, talk to us about the experience of, of the halls and the, and the people and the atmosphere and what it was like to be young and broke and making a career in well, Vienna. I'll tell you, God was good because you know what? As soon as I got that gig, I got that gig on my third audition. I had auditioned for Graz Oper, and there was another one. I forget what it was, but this was my uh, a stage audition at the Teatro an der Wien, right? Theater of Vienna. Teatro an der Wien, for those that don't know, was the house that was built to house the production, The Magic Flute. Oh. The, the man who wrote the words, uh, oh, I forget his name now, Schickenende, who wrote, who was the original Papageno in, Vien in Vienna's production of The Magic Flute, uh, actually had this house built for his production. And um, he, wrote the, he wrote the Magic Flute, Schickenende, and he played the lead role Papageno. So, so when, you say, when you say built the house, do you mean a theater? The theater. He built the How theater for... 
for defli- the, you know, the, the, how, how big, how big, how big a theater? About 1200 seats. And it's oh, the that, old I, fashioned, beautiful opera, red, gold, red velvet and gold. Right. Yeah. Right. That was the theater that Das Fantôme de Opa played in. Teatro de Vie. Oh, Very. Wow. Historic. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. I mean, I was a great queen of the night. I gigged a lot on queen of the night because, you know, she had the high apps. It was an easy gig. But when I was uh-huh. doing the trench walking, you know, because for Phantom, there were a lot of different entrances you had to go through. I can remember walking through those caverns and thinking, wow, imagine the people that have walked down here. They have actually what walked caverns? in the same places. What, well, because all caverns? opera houses have caverns, you know. All well, opera houses. What, I don't understand. I don't know anything about this. Tell right. me about so, opera and its caverns. Well, there's underground usually spots in an opera house that were built for different reasons. Um, your stage, don't forget your stage, how the stage would work wasn't, we couldn't move stages like we can today. So they would build the trap doors and they would build stuff under the stage for different, you know, things that would happen during the productions, right? Special effects. Uh-huh. So there's all, there was all kinds like of a maze underneath the stage of Teatro Nevin. And so for some of the entrances, you know, you had to go out one side and then come back in on the other side. We would go underneath the stage through these weird underground tunnels um, wow. and make the, make the entrances. And I could just remember doing that thinking how, oh, this is so great. You know, maybe Papageno, Shikananda actually walked in this space right. oh my gosh yeah it was pretty cool oh my goodness cool. yeah yeah well you know it it reminds <laughs> it, it's it reminds it kind of reminds me of um uh, when i got when i got to congress this is this is this is a slight aside but it's yeah. the idea of, of the hidden tunnels and all that when i got to congress i had uh, first of all i i had never been in the nation's capital uh, I never took one of there. I'd never been on a school trip to the nation's capital. I, it was the first time. And I walked into the, to the house of house of representatives where my new office where I'd be working. And I was, was kind of mind boggling to think number one, that I'd been elected as, cause I, I had to get, uh, I had, I had to get the press to stop calling me a, a kitty rock star and, oh. um, and, and, and deal with me a little more as a statesman rather than yep. a kitty rock star. But I got to Congress and, 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 and what you had to learn was that the entire Capitol complex is a maze of tunnels yeah. and different levels and uh, learning those tunnels and thinking about the people who had walked in those tunnels before me. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, it, it's a pretty staggering idea that you walk in the footsteps and follow the ghosts of those who yeah. have been there before. But it's especially resonant to me to hear your story about opera in Vienna and the mm. caverns and the tunnels, because I can only imagine the, the guilt and the velvet and the incredibly gorgeous yeah. scenery. Where where did you live? And and okay. I take it now that now that you were singing, you were you must they must have been paying you to sing, uh, right? You were the best paying gig I ever had. It was crazy, crazy. I mean, uh, you, you know, you couldn't sing an opera in that world, in the opera world, for what I was getting paid at this show, unless you were like already recognized a tier opera singer. I mean, it's crazy, oh right? 
Yeah, it's a musical theater piece. In fact, when I took that audition, uh, I walked on the stage and I was kind of upset because I came to Vienna to sing opera and here it was, Phantom of the Opera. It's a musical, right? That's what I'm thinking. I sang this great audition and they offered me the job on the spot and I said no. I freaking... Oh my goodness. I know. I think about this, all right? I said no and it wasn't because I thought I was better than them. I told them honestly, I said, you know what? I can't give you a year. I've, I, I came here to sing opera. And I started to walk off the stage. And of course, I wasn't playing a game. I wasn't trying to like play. I'm faking polka game here. I just walked, started to walk off. And she said, please wait. The, you know, the, the woman that was putting it together. And they came back and they said, we will offer you six months. Will you take it? And, yeah. and she said, this is the only time we've ever done this. And I said, okay, I'll do it for six months. And of course, I ended up staying for a year. Right. It was a great gig. It's it the was. great show. It was. It was fun. Uh, I had a great time. You know, life is life is very funny. Life life serves <laughs> serves up choices, and then when we make them, we we looking back, we can see what it meant. When I was um, when I was a youth, uh, at some point, I had just graduated from college and had a couple of plays that I'd written done, um, including one uh, off 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 Broadway. I I got a meeting with um, a Stephen Sondheim's agent. Cool. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I went to the meeting and she said to me, you're, you're very talented. You're, you're a talented writer. I, I want to represent you and I want to send you out to LA because I think you have a way with dialogue and I want to, uh, get you working on some of the, some of the big TV shows out there. And my, my response, uh, kind of was, um, <laughs> Well, my, my response was, well, actually, Flora, as I, my, my, I recall that that was her name. I want to write for Broadway. And so I want to stay in New York. I don't want to go to L.A., uh, but thank you. But thank you very much all the same. And, and so I ended up in law school. And, uh, and great. Uh, here, here I am uh, interviewing, interviewing you. So so how, how long so your 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 European career uh, included not just Vienna, but you also sang in Russia. Yes, yes, that was actually a lot of fun. Um, Opera Fest, when we, we had Opera Fest here in New England, in New Hampshire, we did a project with the B Opera Company over there. It was in St. Petersburg, Russia, called Zazakalia. And Zazakalia was like St. Petersburg. It was like our, it was their New York City opera right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we decided to do a couple of different, trans- you know, they came here for like a couple of weeks. We went there for a couple of weeks a few times. And uh, actually, to this day, Opera Fest of New Hampshire is the only opera company to have performed at the Hermitage Theater, which was the theater, bit and bu- gr- the theater built by Catherine the Great. Oh my um, goodness. Only American opera sung in English opera ever offered on that stage. And, wow. and even today, no English was ever sung on that stage, except that we did two American operas at, uh, at that, at, at some point. Yeah. That's, so that's, that's, that's remarkable. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. 
So let's just talk briefly. Uh, you founded Opera Fest of New Hampshire, right. uh, which which had a 10 year, 10 year run. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you are the director of the New Hampshire Piccola Opera. Yes. Tell us how 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 did that develop? Uh, what is the Piccola Opera? How do people find out about it and what's going on with it? So Piccola Opera um was actually another company that we changed its name. It's a nonprofit organization. Piccola in Italian means little. So we're a little mm-hmm. opera. And our mission is to educate, enlighten, and entertain the public with regard to opera. And we do that by having a main cast, which are emerging singers, professional emerging singers, give them a place to play and learn these roles they need to learn. And the B part is community programming. So we have a youth opera group that does performances twice a year. And we offer uh, opportunities for community people to come in and sing with us, you know, learn how to do it on stage. So it's a very wonderful little company. Um, we've been very small. I, I work full time at the Founders Academy. I'm their choral director at the Founders mm-hmm. Academy in Manchester. So up until last year, uh, we've been very small, just working to do a competition in the fall and a summer production. Okay? Mm-hmm. But we reopened. We got a new board. We, we made our company, enlarged our company a couple of years ago. And I guess coming out. COVID hit. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we played through COVID. We found remote productions. We found safe outdoor productions, spatial. uh, You know, we followed all the the rules and sang through and produced right through Mm -hmm. COVID when it was safe to do so. So now um, our little company this uh, on September 25th has its 11th annual uh, New Hampshire Opera Idol competition. We had 40 youngsters, when I say youngsters, because I'm so old. Uh, So we have 40 emerging opera singers, about 20-somethings from all over the world that came in to perform for the competition. And the final round is on the 25th. And if if people want to see it, they can see it on our website, piccoloopera.net. So, and and piccola is spelled P-I-C-C-O-L-A. Correct. Piccolaopera.net. Let me just stop you for a moment. So you, how did you, um, how did you market or advertise the, the, the New Hampshire uh, opera idol competition that drew 40 people from around the world? Well, actually we had 55 that tried to get in, but we had to close it. So, uh, we put them on performing uh, venues. For instance, there's something called Yap Tracker, which is mm-hmm. a young artist program, and they list competitions. So once you put your event out there, all the young singers can see it, and they'll, you know, and they'll put in their uh, competition, you know, application for it through these, uh-huh. you know, through these organizations. So and and did they did they send videos? Did they yeah. this time? Usually it's live. We always have done it live. But last year we were forced to do a remote competition and we had like 2,200 people watch. So we said, okay, well, let's try it again because we, you know, when we were planning this, we weren't sure whether or not COVID would come back enough to ruin a live show, right? Right. So we said, let's do it again. And so we're going to do it remote again. So singers had to send in two videos and um, 
we had we have judges look at them. Our judges are uh, Wayne Rivera from Hart School of Music. Uh, we have Madeline Gearhart, who is from Opera Viva, a, a Verona Opera Company, Verona Italy Opera Company. Uh, myself and um, Catherine Martinez, who is our social media opera gal. Mm. And we fell down to 15. And those 15 mm -hmm. are going to play live or, you know, with their video streamed live kind of. And people yep. get to comment on it and they get to pick their audience favorite at the event. They vote right there. And, uh -huh. uh, and we have $5,000 worth of prizes going out. And WKXL is the number one prize giver for the competition. They're going to give oh, well. $1,000 to the first place winner. Wow. I'm, that's, that's wonderful. Congratulations to you and to WKXL. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful little family of, it is. of, of support. Well, that sounds great. So the final is going to be on September 25th. Can, can, can people watch, people can watch the final by going to your website, right? Yeah, absolutely. It starts at seven 30. And yeah. I believe it's 7.30. Oh, my gosh, I should know. But I don't have the site in front yeah. of me. But I believe it's 7.30. Okay. And uh, so, it's a two-hour show. So there's a lot yeah. of good stuff. So, um, folks, it's piccolaopera.net. That's P-I-C-C-O-L-A-O-P-E-R-A.net. Uh, it's September 25th. We think it's at 7.30 uh, for <laughs> two hours of extraordinary young emerging opera singers vying to become the winner of the opera idol contest and uh it's a real feather in the opera singer's cap it's a it's a great it's a great idea i'm so glad to hear that you're a lot you know that that people get to to watch it it's um it's yeah. it's what one of the things that strikes me is it really answers uh, and and it may be a silver lining of COVID that it it expands your reach rather dramatically mm -hmm. to have people from all over the world be able to stream their performances. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Um, I don't know that for the budding opera singer um, that it's the best way to do the competition because let's face it, we want them to have those live in public uh, performance experiences because it makes them better performers. Right. But you know what? When you have lemonade, when you have lemons, you make lemonade, and uh, it yeah. certainly has allowed us to expand, like you said, the scope. So yeah, that's true. That's great. So tell us a little bit about the shows you're now doing on WKXL. This is all. This is all a little bit incestuous, folks. I'm really happy to promote <laughs> my my fellow hosts on the radio podcast at WKXL because KXL is doing some really interesting things. Um, my co-host and I, between us, do four shows on politics and this show, which is sort of a beyond politics show about uh, people and artists and business and sometimes politics and news. Um, and Jane has two new shows just gearing up. Um, so KXL's content is really uh, changing and um, it's, it's, it, it's, a and, and there's soon going to be some exciting news um, about the scope of our uh, performance area or broadcast area on KXL. Uh, but tell us about your two shows. Mm -hmm. Well, I was told I was uh, 
you know, somebody came and talked to me about the fact that KXL really wanted to expand community offerings on the program, community shows, because it's a community radio station, which is really wonderful. So um, I'm going to be doing a, a show with Ken Kale. I believe it's called In Touch Cormier, Kale and Cormier. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk a little, about, a little bit about everything. I don't know that it's not going to be so much political as it's going to be just about community topics that might come up, community information. Um, just a fun, you know, just a fun show. Ken is so engaging. He's just great. He is. So yep, fun. he is. And and he's got and he's got that great radio voice. He does. He does. Yeah. You're right. Uh, and the other show is just an artful, it's called Artful Living. And it's just because I love to talk about beautiful things. And uh, mm-hmm. so the show talks about art and grateful living and being graceful and understanding the very slow side of our life is important to not ignore anymore. So um, that's pretty much just a fun show that I'm looking forward to offering. You know, one of the, one of the, uh, I I keep talking about silver linings. It's a little cliched, but it's true that one of the uh, silver linings in the COVID experience has been for so many people to think uh, anew about yeah. uh, the pace of life and how much, you know, I mean, um, our, our society and our culture has always been about pushing and going as fast as you can and doing as much as you can and working yeah. as hard as you can. And I think for a lot of people, the COVID experience in which, you know, I mean, you, you we haven't been able to to burn the candle at as many ends as we'd like, either on our recreation right. or our work, has 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 given people a sense that a slower pace does not mean a less rewarding life. That for many people, a slower pace has has shown them a more rewarding side to life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's absolutely true that as a country, as a culture, right? I think that we we do go fast and I'm not sure that fast and wanting to, you know, go for the gusto is negative. I think that that's still good, but I think that we need to understand we need to moderate a little bit here and there so that we can enjoy it. That's where we miss out. We, we go for the gold, but we don't take time to enjoy it. And uh, I'm really big on that. Um, we need to take a breath every now and then. Well, it's, it's true. So, Jane, this has been wonderful. Um, I will let our folks know that uh, I'm your host, Paul Hodes. We are on Capital Close Up, a show on WKXL. We've been talking with Jane Cormier, a soprano, a voice teacher, a founder of the Founders Academy in Manchester, a director of New Hampshire Piccola Opera, whose um, opera idol competition is live streamed on September 25th uh, at their website, piccolaopera.net. Jane is um, now the host of, she's now a radio star. She's the host (laughs) of two shows on WKXL. So she's joined the WKXL family. And, you know, I just, I guess I'd say this in a half a minute or less lightning round, What's the one thing somebody who wants to find out about opera ought to do? Go on YouTube and look at very short little clips of famous opera singers, Pavarotti, Joan Sutherland, Maria Callas, and get two minutes, take two minutes, three minutes, 
and see how you like it. You'll be moved. You'll be amazed. This is Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes, thanking Jane Cormier for joining me. We'll be back next week with more Capital Close-Up.